Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is a special mini episode entitled Destination Retro. Uh, We wanted to get back to everybody and let everybody know how Destination D went in our Lake and Lagoon tour. So we figured we'd put together a special half hour uh, here just to give you an idea of what went on. So as tonight with me, um, I've got uh, JT Couser. Hey, Todd, what's happening? Not much. Back home. And Brian Miles. Yo, from Philly. So, uh, <laughs> yo, he's going with the, the mob sound tonight. All right. Uh, how is uh, not going to be able to join us tonight? Well, first of all, we want to give a thank you to everybody who came out uh, to, to the Lake and Lagoon tour. It was a, it was a great success. We ran um, seven different boats, uh, did quite a, quite a number of, of tours. Uh, JT, you were you were you were one of the captains of, of, of my three boats that we took out. Yeah, you know that was my first time. I've driven many boats, never a pontoon boat. And if you're somebody that's looking to rent a pontoon boat, there, I'll just say it, it's very easy. It's very relaxing, and if you don't even have a tour, um, definitely a cool thing to do at Disney for sure. Oh yeah, that's my that's my boat. <laughs> that's the Gen A. <laughs> you didn't but, name it, did you? No, we didn't name it. I will say, folks, that JT, all three uh, re-entries into the dock, he slipped that boat into the slip like a chest of drawers. So I, I went for the hat trick, just yeah. slipped it right in there right every in. time. And we did sail from the contemporary dock, so it was appropriate that it was a chest of drawers. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, Brian, you were you and I were one, uh, one of the tour guides. That, uh, Howe was one of the other tour guides. How'd your tours go? Uh, my tours were outstanding. I think I probably had the best uh, passengers um, on both days. What? Uh, so, really? So wow. Shout out to, to all of my passengers. You guys were the best. What was Slightly the most? better. Like, you, you guys went to 11. Everybody <laughs> else was at a 10. You guys wow. were What do you think was the thing that they were most interested in? The way he sang Love Boat to our boat when we yeah. passed him. <laughs> well, that was, that was the second day. Um uh, well, I, Discovery Island uh, is always interesting because most of these people didn't experience it, whereas River Country was around until 2001. Discovery Island closed a few years earlier in 98, uh, so more of my passengers had never been on Discovery Island. Uh, and Discovery Island is, is harder to uh, see much of it now mm. compared to River Country. There's still a lot of River Country visible. Um, yeah. But uh, you see a lot less of Discovery Island. So they were very interested in that. And then, of course, all the unbuilt stuff that we kind of pointed out along the way. Right, right. Yeah, there was a lot. So maybe we, we should probably go through, and, and for those that 
um, you know, we didn't take the tour. We can tell you a couple of the places that, that describe that we the went stops. To. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about the stops. So um, we first kicked off from the contemporary and uh, looked up to the left towards where the Persian resort was. We then took a t- uh, tour down towards, as Brian was talking about, Discovery Island, which had a lot of different names, Riles Island. And um, we pointed out where Roy's cabin was. Uh, we stopped by the shoe tree. Then we went over towards uh, River Country. And then there was kind of a lull in the cruise as we crossed over to Seven Seas Lagoon. Um, forgot the walrus. Oh, the walrus. The How could I forget boat. the walrus? And thank you. Thank you. And, and, and Pablo uh, Cruz. Pablo Cruz. Uh, and then we crossed over Seven Seas Lagoon, pointing out the Mediterranean, where the waterfall was on the Castaway Island, the Beatles break up, um, the, the only uh, part of the Polynesian that was not built chest of drawers. Uh, we also talked about the uh, wave machine, um, some monorail facts, where the electrical water pageant is stored, and then rounded it out with the monorail beams, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, the ones that were missing and are slightly different. And then... Uh, Pulled it back into the into the slip over the contemporary. So, every I think most tours were about an hour. Or so we had a great time out there. Yeah, wasn't bad. I was I was impressed. It was definitely a. I I personally I don't know about you guys. Obviously, knew because you gave the tours. But even I was driving around going like, oh, that's where the Persian was going to go. Oh, <laughs> that's where it was surprising to me because I heard about it but didn't exactly know where. So yeah, so it's got all a lot of good information. Well, and for mine, I was. You know, uh, Hal Bowers wrote this beautiful set of notes for us. Yes. Yeah. And, and so when I did cards. my, yeah, handwritten note cards, like the monks in Spaceship Earth, hand hand copying each set for us. As we did the, uh, as we did the first tour, I'm I'm looking at my note cards that he wrote. The wind is blowing. I'm also trying to look at at the the, the, the we gave everybody a handout of these photos. Uh, describing the different locations or artist renderings of the resorts that were never built, that kind of stuff. And so I'm, I'm trying to match Hal's note cards with the the map that we're on and the route. And it was a very confusing first 10, 15 minutes for our 60-minute our tour because I started thinking that the note cards, which were numbered, matched up with the the map which had numbered <laughs> stops and i'm like of this course, isn't where the mediterranean i'm talking about the mediterranean resort and where, where the persian resort was going to be and i'm like oh, i'm sorry folks this is over here and that's over there uh but they handled it with great aplomb and uh and and we we got it all straightened out by the time we moved into uh, seven seas lagoon but exactly. but the bay lake area i was i was a little jumbled as as we were moving around and i missed the shoe tree the first time ah uh. Uh, I did point it out on our way back. but We may have a solution. So I'm thinking, guys, if we all make our own audio tour, about an hour, that people can rent a boat from the Poly- <laughs> Polynesian of the Contemporary, right? Can download the audio tour. The, as we found out, the, 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 uh, the, the boats are Bluetooth-enabled with speakers, so you can play yes. the tour, cruise around with some background music. Hey. I think that'll be pretty. Cool. I had a couple of people who didn't catch the tour, including our friend Michelle Quinzel from Looking Back at Tomorrow, who I talked to on the dock when we got off. And I've made the same offer to everybody. I'll be back there Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to pay to rent the boat, I will be happy to give the tour to yep. anybody <laughs> who wants to come. I, I will do yeah. that. I will be down there in the the last week of April. So just let me know, and I will be more than happy to. To, yeah, to December ninth well. uh, that weekend. Look at that. Two weeks from now, if you yeah, want to go, to JT this, will take uh, you out. You tell me when you have the boat, and I will be on there because I can now give the tour. But I will say, <laughs> if you do rent, you know, you get the audio from us. I think we should all four record individual tours, and it's you know your favorite host who you want to hear, 
And I mean, if you ran out of water sprite, you could bust that out in about a half hour, I think. It, oh, yeah. You know, it's much faster than those parts. It could be like Horizons. You choose your beginning, right? You choose who mm-hmm. you want to listen to. So. Yes. I, choose I your think own that'd adventure. Be, yes, that'd be <laughs> awesome. And uh, it, we, I want to add, too, that you know, our boat, we, we were a little front heavy on a couple of them. We, we took on some water a couple of <laughs> times, yeah. which was very, I didn't know that was possible on a pontoon boat. So I want to, I want to disclaimer here. When I did the magic kingdom fireworks cruise, which, uh, I rented a boat last, uh, December 30th last year. And on those cruises they have, they're, they're slightly bigger boats. You can fit 10 people plus Disney assigns a captain who drives the boat for you. And we and, found out they give you a, a, 30 horsepower engine instead of a 9.9 yeah yeah it's <laughs> nice. much, i mean it is it, it's it's a it's a it's a it's it's a nicer setup but i rented it how and his wife came up from uh, tampa st pete to to join us that night and we got to see a nighttime preview show of the fantasy in the sky fireworks that they run for new year's eve which includes perimeter fireworks it's really a great experience but that happened to us on that tour so it wasn't exclusive to the smaller boats uh, we started taking on water in the front, and and some of the uh, you, you just have to weight balance the 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 boat a little better. Uh, the my second, so we had that happen on my first tour. Uh, on the second day when we did the tour, I loaded the boat and 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 picked every kind of where everybody was going to sit, and we had no problem that day. So yep. there you go. That's so cool though. One other thing we wanted to give a shout out to the world of Micah. Uh, really appreciate it. he he was on my boat on the first uh, yeah, the ten thirty tour right and uh, he did a great video at World of Micah. Uh, he's on YouTube and uh, captured some of our highlights and uh, put that out today. So shout out to him. Appreciate that and it was great to meet you and and thanks for uh, being a videographer of, of the tour. So you can certainly see some of the different sites and, uh, and that we and I kind of feel like. You know, we were we were not unlike Star Tours in that depending <laughs> on the captain and the and the narrator that you got on your tour, everybody got a completely different tour. Exactly. Yeah, uh, it's my first time too. Yeah, our ten AM tour was like the beta version. That's right. That's right. Well, we did do some other things um over the weekend. Um we wanna talk a bit about a, a dinner that we had Saturday night before we get to things that uh, we learned at, at D twenty three. Um we had a, a, a wonderful dinner with Tom Nabby, uh, and as well as Dave Coolidge. Uh, Tom Nabby, if you remember, is, is a Disney legend. He was uh, uh, the original Tom Sawyer at Disneyland. Walt had hired him, and that's the name of his book, Walt Hired Me. We had him on a previous episode last year, uh, and uh, we uh, also invited David Coolidge, the watercolor artist that we've talked about in the past and we've had on the show. Uh, so we had dinner with them uh, at the top of the Contemporary uh, in the California Grill, and um, that was a, a fantastic evening. Not only did we kind of had one of the rooms on the side, there was a satellite launch that went off. Uh, it was it was a it was a great evening. Um, but to, to add to that, we learned a lot of things before we took a monorail ride with Tom. Um, now, Brian, you, he, I know the Contemporary isn't one of Tom's favorite resorts. He just said that he he never particularly cared for right, the design right. of the resort the way that the. I think his description was something along the lines of he, he it was like he expected robots to come out of the rooms all at once and start <laughs> filing down those hallways that opened into the Grand Canyon concourse. So. But you you found out in talking to him about the contemporary, you found out some some interesting information before we got on the, the monorail ride with him. Yeah, he, he said when they did the initial plan for the resort, um, all of the the planning in terms of operations both from a food service and linens and, you know, just design of the resort in general 
was based on the national average at that time, uh, which was 1.8 people per room. Uh, and so any Holiday Inn, et cetera, nationwide, that's what they built hotels to that standard. When they opened the Contemporary, uh, they found that the average uh, room occupancy there was 3.7 people. And so in that first six months of operation, he said they were completely swamped and, and understaffed and didn't have enough food and all kinds of other problems that they were solving the first few months that they had their hotels open. There are a lot of things, and I have some other stories here too, where early operation had, had changed the way that, that things were done down there. Um, Brian, he also talked to you about it. So we, after dinner, we all went downstairs and, and, and we asked Tom if he would go on a monorail ride with us uh, to point out some things. And um, he was talking about the load platform, how the used to be wide open. You could walk from one, one beam to the other, to the from the resort beam over to the uh, express beam. And he was telling you something about the platforms, right, that were built for uh, opening? Yeah. Yeah. As we were standing, what had happened was we came down at uh... – I don't know what time of night it was, but it was probably at eight o'clock, something like that. And uh, the there was a lot of we were in a line. There were, we were probably three deep in the line waiting, you know, for three monorails to come through before we would actually get to board. So we had a little time standing up there. And as we're standing there, he casually just says, uh, "Over there on the other side, uh, on the other side of where the elevator shaft is," um, he said, uh, "That's where we built the platform for uh, Bob Hope." and the mariachi band. <laughs> and it, the funny thing is, is talking to just about anybody else, they wouldn't know what he was talking about. But of course we all said, Oh yeah. From the opening special, we know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Cause in the Walt Disney world opening special, the monorail pulls into the station, the doors open up and Bob hope steps out on camera, uh, to a mariachi band playing to welcome him. <laughs> and, uh, so he told us they built the platform, uh, right about where you load on to the to the monorails now if you are leaving the contemporary to head to uh, to the Magic Kingdom. So that was kind of a neat thing to, to, to yeah. know exactly where that was done. Yep. We took a ride with Tom and um, he filled us in some really interesting operational things that, that changed the way the monorail uh, operates today. Now, you guys, if you remember, we went back and we looked at some of these old films. And I think in one of them we saw one of the monorails going the opposite direction. Remember that? We were like, hey, what is yeah. that? Yeah. So we, we asked Tom that and he said, well, that that was normal back then in the very beginning because they found that the tires were getting uneven wear from operating in the same direction all the time. So the way to solve the problem temporarily was to run the monorails in the opposite direction around the beam until they could figure out the direct uh, composition of the tire, that the air pressure um, that should go in it so they could get the even tire wear just going around one direction. So that was a kind of a, an interesting, uh, interesting thing. And, and he got to tell us about getting yelled at by Dick Nunes about it. That's, that's he told right. us that uh, some, some, you know, Noon, Dick Nunes noticed the uh, monorails running in an opposite direction <laughs> than what had been planned. And this was, I guess they had been open maybe a month at this point. Mm -hmm. and they were, I think it was Goodyear, he told us, had recommended that they run them in the opposite direction for X hours a day to even out the wear. Um, so Dick Nunes sees the, sees the monorails running in an opposite direction. So he goes to the first frontline cast member that he sees and says, why, why is this being done this way? And they refer him to their supervisor and he goes to the supervisor and supervisor says, yeah, well, Nabby decided he wanted it to run the other, the other direction. <laughs> 
So Dick Nunes marches into Tom Nabby's office and says, I, you know, why did you change the direction of the monorails? Being told that it was just an arbitrary decision by Tom. And Tom, of course, says, no, that's not true. I was, you know, we did it for this reason. And Goodyear recommended that we do it for this reason. And he said, and Dick was satisfied and, and walked out. <laughs> it gave you a very good glimpse into an early interaction with Dick Nunes. Right, right. So the other interesting operational aspect of the monorail that we found out was that, as we all know now, when you take the resort or the express monorail, you unload to the inside of the monorail station at the Magic Kingdom. And it was opposite years ago where you would actually unload on the outside and you would load on the inside. And it didn't take very long before some Florida rains came up and they found that the outside could only handle about one and a half, two car loads and monorails would pull in during pouring rain. The people would only get out and stand on the platform and refuse to go into the Magic Kingdom. As the monorails came, people wouldn't even get off the monorail. They would just stay on and go around for another ride. So the reason they changed it was because the center, they can hold about six car six monorails worth of, of people um, in the center uh, under cover uh, before they would have to force people to walk in the rain. So something that you can't anticipate when planning and don't even think about until you actually see the way that people interact with with what you've uh with what you've built so i I found that interesting story you know yep so um a couple other little tidbits as we went around um he also talked to us about the 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 wave machine and um he felt that it was eroding the actual island that it was on not specifically the beaches and we all know there's, there's a wide array of reasons why the wave machine was shut down. We're going to touch base that on the next segment here where we talk about a little bit what we learned uh, D23. Um, but Brian, you have two other conversations that you talked to, uh, you and Howe talked about at the bar, right? Yeah. Uh, while we were waiting for our table, we got some interesting conversations just about some of the operational stuff that, that he would know about. And so one of the things that uh, we had referred to from our uh, podcast a while back. I think it was David Coolidge told us that uh, the one of the reasons they were stocking high-end goods was because of uh, bringing profits in mm-hmm. from repatriating profits from out of country, Correct. from Germany and Europe, uh, from Mary Poppins, and that that was a way to get to avoid paying taxes on repatriating income that the studios had from that. Uh, so we brought that up to Tom and said, "Is that you know?" And and, he, and while he didn't specifically address that. One of the things that he did say was that uh, one of the reasons for the very high-end nature of a lot of the merchandise sold at, uh, at uh, Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village when it opened was that all of the Disney employees and managers got substantial discounts on everything sold there. So they would direct, say, if their wife wanted a beautiful $5,000 armoire for their for their. <laughs> for their home. I'll make sure we stock a couple of these specific ones down there in our, in our (laughs) antique store. And then they would go in and buy it at a gigantic discount. So he said that was part of the reason that they, that they were, there was so much high end merchandise down there is that they were, they were the consumers themselves and the company was basically subsidizing it. Right. Right. Uh, how had gotten into a conversation with them about central foods and uh, a lot of ex cast members on uh, Facebook, and in discussion groups, uh, talk about how outstanding the food was when Disney had the Central Foods operation. And what Central Foods was, was basically most of the food in the parks uh, and the hotels was prepared in a central plant and then shipped uh, to the to the, 
to around the resort and that central plant was somewhere back in, in operations. Uh, and that closed down sometime in the eighties, late eighties. Uh, it was part of the Eisner era, but, uh, the latter half of the eighties. And so a lot of the discussion of ex cast members had something to do with, you know, uh, cost cutting and things like that. And Tom Nabby said that really wasn't the case. Uh, Central Foods, the origin of it was really because there was no food service uh, supplier nationwide that was really operating in Central Florida because it was a very rural area when the resort opened. He said they built Central Foods out of necessity to be able to provide the stuff to themselves because there was no Aramark or Cisco or anybody like that operating down there. Eventually, I want to say it was Aramark that came in and took over Central Foods, uh, or at least the portion that provided employee food in all the cafeterias. And mm -hmm. I know that's been talked about online. Yeah. But he said that's really what it was. It was a function of it, it, it got to a point by the late 80s that it was not cost effective at all for Disney to keep doing it themselves when, when uh, there were suppliers that could do it now. Right, right. All right, guys. And, and the most important part of this is that, as we remember, and even one of the stops on our tours we talked about was the missing beams. Um, when we when interviewed Tom a, a number of episodes ago, he talked about how some of the beams in transit um, from the production facility were lost during the, the train or truck. They got knocked over, um, so they never made it to Florida on time, and they had built a second set of beams, but those beams never fit correctly. The camber of the beams is slightly off, so we asked him to, on, the, on this ride, show us exactly where, and we have exact information now. Um, he said it's both beams on the resort and the express loop, um, but you really can't feel it if you're taking the resort loop into the contemporary. Um, where you can feel the monorail change is when the express monorail is going through the contemporary towards the Magic Kingdom. As soon as it exits the contemporary and hits the very first pylon, that's the tall part that holds the monorail up, um, the camber, the, the, the left right of, of, the, of the beam actually shifts and the monorail, you can feel it kind of jostle a bit. Now the the Disney nerds that we were, we went out there on the balcony of the Polynesia, uh, balcony of the Contemporary, and and watched a couple monorails go over, and my wife and a few others did see the nose of it dip, and we think it does have to do with how the load is distributed in the car as well. Um, but there we go, we've got the exact beams that were that were. Uh, it's like <laughs> unsolved late. mysteries here. <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> Robert well, the story, the, the story, the story's in his book, and he right. told it on our podcast. But even having read it all, like we weren't sure which beams it were. What are you talking kind of about, looking Tom? at it, and, right, right. So, you know, it's fun to go there with the guy that knows and say, "Yeah, it's those two. Yeah. Well, then it's it's a weird thing. I mean, you got to kind of be, you know, in the know in this Disney little community to like get a kick out of riding the monorail with Tom Nabby. I mean, right. it was just like you're like, <laughs> there he is, and I'm riding with the guy. Like it was kind of cool just to yep. see that. And he he's he's one of the legends that uh, you know that that built that park. So it was an awesome time with him. So Tom, uh, thank you very much for your time that uh, you spent with us that evening. It was you know much much appreciated. Um, so a special thanks to Tom Nabby as well as Dave Coolidge for being our guest of honor that night. And uh, it was awesome to, to ride with you. So um, after we say goodbye to Tom and, and, and uh, David, we, we went downstairs and we found something that Howard told us about. The, one of the original oh, gosh, yeah. corrugated wood walls that was left over from the contemporary in the 1970s. Uh, yes. and if, so we're not going to tell you where it is. Yeah, you see if you can no. find it. Because that would be uh, that would be tipping our hands on a future tour. That's right. 
uh, because honestly, we could give an entire tour just in the Grand Canyon concourse. Yeah. And uh, and the contemporary of of things that used to be here and interesting factoids and stuff that was never built. Hmm, uh, but again, I think we'll all, <laughs> we'll all make the offer if we're ever there again. Yep. Uh, that uh, any of us will take you over to the to the secret wall next right. weekend. I'll be there. That's the right. Original ni- 1971 wall, and you can take a boy band photo like we did. Yeah. If you yeah, if we... you get there, it's tweet us a photo, take the photo, send it to us. We'll, we'll get you a little prize. So let's see who you get a prize, and you get a prize pod entry before the prize pod goes. If oh, you send us a picture. Look at that. Look at that. So yep. So thank you to Tom Nabby and to the contemporary for. Being the, uh, it's like our dream finder bag of, I, of, right. of retro goodness is all there. <laughs> Just walk around knowing that Bob Hope stood here and Tom Nabby Well, did you'd this have to be in midair for Bob Hope, but that's right. Okay. Nevertheless. <laughs> all right. So we did go down there specifically for Destination D and we learned a, a lot of different things. Um, had a couple of funny things happen. I attended a few of the sessions. I know, Brian, you, you attended more than, than I did. Um, so I, I jotted a couple notes down here and I, I wish Hal was with us tonight. He was doodling and he's got, I'm sure he has some comments that we'll add to, to episode 25 coming up. Yeah. Uh, in, in a week fact, ago. he's got a, a, what's a kingdom of memories is, is yeah. his occasional blog where he parks some stuff that doesn't really belong anywhere else. He drew, uh, he, he, he sketched, uh, the ride system as best he could determine it for the new avatar ride. Right, right. Uh, with his own hand drawing showing you like the position of the riders and, and everything. So is, if you if you hunt that down, we'll post a link to it. Yeah. You really should check it out just to see the the kind of a genius that we're working with here. The the little notebook that they gave you for checking into destination D, he he put it to most use probably of all of us. So yeah. he actually made some paper mache items when I was sitting there, just weaved them and did this whole <laughs> He was busy though. It was I was I was just he's an origamist. I did not know. Yeah, at one point I was like, I should be watching, you know, uh, Tony Baxter talk and not how write his notes. Like it was just this weird thing sitting next to him. So it was cool though. Oh man, yeah. So so we'll tell you a little bit about Destination D. It was a two day uh, conference, uh, and there were probably three sessions. I guess if you look at the history of adventure lands around the world. Uh, the history of, you know, 45 years of Walt Disney World and some of the attractions and things that they covered. Uh, there was also uh, a session on Mark Davis, uh, who is the famous Disney Imagineer responsible for a lot of uh, the stuff that you see in the Haunted Mansion. And that was Pirates a fantastic. That was a that was a great little. It, it really. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I and I had tweeted while we were there. If they did an entire two days on stuff that Mark Davis conceived and drew but was mm-hmm. never built, uh, you you would never get bored. Right. It just shows you that like they had like free he had free reign to do almost anything mm-hmm. like just create. Yeah. Uh, um, he he was uh, he, he so two years ago at Destination D in 2014 they showed us the the Snow Palace or the Snow Queen ride that they that that he had drawn up. And so if you saw the polar bears in Maelstrom, uh, it was almost ripped directly from his Snow Queen concept artwork. Uh, But what they did in 2014 was there was a score written for the ride. Uh, So Michael Crawford um, at Progress City USA on Twitter, uh, Michael Crawford's brother, who's a musician, his brother Jeff, actually uh, recorded the, the, uh, the music uh, that had been drawn up as the score for this Snow Queen ride, 
And basically they played the soundtrack and ran through all of Mark Davis's drawings in 2014. So you, you got to go on a virtual ride that was never built. Uh, and it was phenomenal. And so this time they showed us all kinds of stuff from the Western River Expedition, which was originally supposed to be where Splash Mountain and Big mm -hmm. Thunder Mountain are now in the Magic Kingdom. Uh, it was like a Western-themed Pirates of the Caribbean, essentially. Uh, so they showed us a lot of stuff from that. And uh, what was some of the other stuff you remember, Todd? Well, they showed a lot of the uh, of his early works from you know the Magic Kingdom, uh, Jungle Cruise, uh, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. And a lot of this was found because... I forget who the speaker was at the time, and I apologize. But um, he, he and somebody else are, are working on a Mark Davis art book. So um, I believe it was was it Anne or Betty? I can't remember Mark's wife's name. But uh, oh, uh, yeah. Alice. 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 Yeah, okay. Alice. Alice. That she just gave the imagination yeah. permission to rummage through her house. These these guys were just like, oh yeah, here's audio tapes, and here's some things that we we found, found this under tape his in pillow. his bureau. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my wife says to me, she goes, she says the book sounds awesome. And, and she says, we, we got to get this book when it comes out. And I think it comes out in 2018 or something. 2018. I yeah. think is there. And the, the thing is going to be a two volume set. Yeah. Right. Slip with a slip cover. It's like a chest yeah. of drawers. It's just going to slip right. All in slip there. right together. Yeah. Uh, and my wife says, she goes, well, screw the book. She says, I, I want to find out his real artwork. This is like, she loved the, the, some of the, just the whimsical look at, at, at yeah. that he had in his, his artwork was, was amazing. So his um, his last big attraction, I think, was uh, World of Motion. Yeah. So all of those sight gags, those 130, whatever it was, animatronics and everything, that's all Mark Davis. Right. Uh, so if you love the pirates and you love the World of Motion. Jungle and, Cruise, all those. Oh, yep. it, I mean, it's just, it's terrific. Yep. So we also, one of the other sessions is we took a tour back. Uh, it was called 45 Years of Magic, I believe, or 45 Magic Journeys, yep. 45 Years. Yeah, that's that, that was it. Um, where they looked back at a lot of different things that had um, gone on in the Magic Kingdom. They, we, we took a, a small tour of If You Had Wings. There was the, uh, what was it called? Wall Carpet Battle Royale, right? Where the audience chose which color yes, wall carpet between was the, Between the, the two shades of wall carpet, the red and the blue, that were in uh, <laughs> If You Had Wings, Delta Dream Flight, etc. Right, right. But there were some things that came up that we've talked about on this show. Um, and, and two of them have to do with uh, the... Jungle Cruise. Um, one of us that that um, I think it was Chris Merritt was talking at the time that uh, there were man-eating plants originally designed on the Jungle Cruise. Yeah, Mark um, Davis had designed mm -hmm. uh, his drawings included man-eating plants. And did he say why they weren't done? I don't recall because I remember they showed he, a, he just a he said it got just slowly edited out like you know yeah. as the plans create yeah. you know move forward to building it just got yeah, left my behind. recollection is that they they i thought i think they just thought it wasn't going to work like what right. they were trying to do and uh it had so something they had... to do with trader sam too i think or something like right that, so so in one of the scenes that they showed us there was a, a piece of artwork from probably halfway through the conceptual idea of, of jungle cruise and you could see if you look down real small there was very tiny uh, man-eating plants that resembled the original sketch from Mark Davis, and they were towards the end of the ride, and then they, they eventually got cut out. The one thing that we were sh kind of shocked at, and it was interesting, at one point, um, uh, Chris is going through the Jungle Cruise, and he says, did you know, who knew that the Jungle Cruise had frogs in our <laughs> area of destination? Our three day. rows raised their hand and no one oh, else. Yeah, and there were a couple smattering of other comments out there. The place was virtually silent. We're all looking at each other. Says so he starts going and talking about the frogs, and 
showed showed some great concept artwork. Yeah, concept art, and and so two things were were very interesting. He says we don't know how long they were in there, which is amazing because we we've got photos and documentation, and everybody kind of knows it was only about two and a half months or so. But he said there was no photos of the Jungle Cruise frogs in operation. And I whipped my head around and looked at Brian, and he shook his head, and I was just livid. I was like, wait a minute, we've got footage. So we do have Jungle Cruise footage of the frogs. We did tweet out to Chris Merritt uh, afterwards, and he said he has seen the footage. It was a little too Zapruder-like, a little too much movement and hard to see. So what we are planning on doing is taking a full frame that was scanned in high definition. We're going to take some full frames, do a, a lot of post-processing on it where it's going to stabilize the film more than normal make it really clear and do a nice loop so that it's very very smooth and hopefully then we've got something that we can show that um hopefully that d23 crowd can show to everybody next and and we'll continue our hunt for more footage exactly the jungle cruise (laughs) i think we have we've got two so far that's pretty damn good (laughs) yeah that's that's gotta be it this I, i i'm curious do you really think he saw it before he spoke I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we tweeted to him after he's like, I saw it. You know, JT, you were the one that got him. Yeah, so. and it was just like the that, that GIF image that we had. You know, it wasn't. Well, we're going to talk about one of the films we just released towards the end of this short episode here. And I think they're starting to realize we got stuff out there. But we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing that they talked about, too, is they bought up the Wave Machine. And I didn't know this. Maybe other people did. But they started showing the original concept art for the Wave Machine and then Phase 2 of the Wave Machine and Phase 3, where that whole area of the lagoon would have been quarantined off with breakers and and walls. Uh, It was going to have its own parking spaces, almost like a mini theme park. And Yeah, so as soon as they were done going over the plans for all this and showing it to us, Hal turns to me and says... Well, now we know where Typhoon Lagoon came from. Yeah. And it really was. If you looked at the concept artwork, at least that center pool uh, with the wave with the wave pool. I mean, it, it's it's ripped right from that phase three for the wave machine. Destination D was a lot of fun. Um, we met a lot of people. We had some great dinners. I really appreciate meeting everybody. If I didn't meet you or Brian didn't meet you or whoever did meet you, more than happy to meet up next time we're down there. Um, it was a lot of fun, and it was uh Definitely something we'll do again with the next upcoming event, which we caught wind of an Epcot 35 event coming up in October. So the date hasn't been announced. But no, it will definitely be a Dis- Disney Epcot 35, and we will be there. That's right. All right, guys. Before we get to our last little segment here, um, we also wanted to let you know about a very special film that was just released um, today. Uh, this is November 28th when we're recording this. Brian, you found this. You, we've been touting. We've been teasing for. 13 months but the day has finally come why don't you announce what we've released (laughs) well one of our holy grails uh, at the outset of of starting to formally hunt down some stuff like the jungle cruise frogs we just talked about Mm -hmm. uh, was to find footage uh, movie footage home movie footage of an actual uh, meet and greet with the florida orange bird character which patrolled uh, the area around Sunshine Tree Terrace in Adventureland from the park opening in 1971 until the Florida Citrus Grower sponsorship of that area ended in 1986. Uh, Incredibly, it does not appear that the uh, Orange Bird character was ever really put on film by Disney. So they didn't be uh, probably because it was a third party character. 
Uh, it didn't appear in any of the television specials that we know of. Uh, in most of the promotional materials, Disney doesn't. There's just not a huge stockpile of that stuff. So it, it seemed a rarity. We had never actually seen footage of them doing a meet and greet. So at some point we tweeted that and somebody sent us a link to a very, very bad, um, you know, probably 150 foot away little clip of footage that someone had in a home movie it was not very good. Uh, and, and the film and the transfer had been deteriorated over time. So high on the list was to find good footage. Uh, so I, I, I bought a film, uh, from October of 1974 last year and I've probably now been through 20, 25 films like this where you, you, you go through and uh, you follow along with the film and you expect them to move into Adventureland at some point and you're always kind of with your fingers crossed that, that, that after Jungle Cruise or maybe a couple of shots of, of the atmosphere of the area and Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse that suddenly the orange bird's going to come onto the screen. Uh, and this time I was watching it and then a very lengthy chronicling of the jungle cruise, probably a full minute of footage, I would say, wouldn't you say, Todd? Yeah, thereabouts that easily. Yeah, it's probably a full minute of the jungle cruise on there. In fact, I and kept scavenging they... it for, for looking to see if they got frogs at any point. I didn't find any. <laughs> they would have been gone by then. But they, so they were standing out there uh, in Adventureland Plaza. And you can tell from the footage, it's shot from far away from Sunshine Tree Terrace, but you can see there's a large crowd in front of the Sunshine Tree Terrace. And uh, watching it a few times now, I can actually make out the top of Baloo uh, dancing around there in the distance. Uh, but what happens is then the camera, you know, shuts off and, and the next thing it comes onto the screen. And I, and I will never forget on my editor flipping, you know, hand cranking this film. Uh, the next thing that comes onto the screen is a close-up of the Florida Orange Bird uh, doing a meet-and-greet, uh, dancing actually with some of the guests, along with Baloo and King Louie from The Jungle Book. And I, I, I'll tell you, it was an emotional experience for me. I'm not sad, I'm not afraid to say the first time I saw it. Uh, I remember <laughs> immediately calling Todd and saying, you're not going to believe what we got. Uh, and that was 13 months ago. That was October of 2015. And so we had it. And uh, it, it took three or four months before we finally got it converted and Todd mastered the film and we saw the first clip of it. Uh, and then the whole idea was Destination D had been announced and we thought, you know, maybe we want to do some kind of an event down there where we present it uh, and let, let, you know, our friends that were all gathered down there in Florida see it in person first before we release it. Uh, and then we also had maybe in the back of our minds that Disney might be interested in showing it to the guests at Destination D. Uh, Disney was not interested in showing it to the guests at Destination D. And uh, we ended up doing the Lake and Lagoon tour, so we didn't have a, a venue where we could right. really show it. And we get everybody so who, who was on the tour, we gave a little business card with a pin and gave them a link to see this ahead of time. So everybody yeah. who was on the tour got to see this. But yeah, so a week later afterwards, we, we've released it to everybody. Um, and, and you know, I, I have we have hinted to people over the last year that this existed. Uh, and so I'm just excited to get it out there. And we've gotten a lot of great feedback from people today on it. So yeah. certainly it's, check it out. It's been fantastic. So to add to that, if you want to see it, you can go to retrowdw.com forward slash orange bird, and that will take you directly to the, the article. Um now, we talked about, Brian mentioned Disney wasn't interested, and um, we're trying to reach out to them more and, and hopefully get them to share. And, and I think guys today, they realize we had some good footage. We got a, a 
a like or, or, or a favorite from Tim O'Day. Um, the also, uh, I forget her name, Brian. It was the uh, Jen Finkley Baker, Finkley Baker, Finkley Baker. Right. She's the social media manager for, uh, for Disney, Disney Parks. Parks. Right. She retweeted it out to her 12,000 some followers. Um, so we're going to do what we can to, to um, hopefully maybe get these things in, in other events in the, in the future. And I will say this without saying too much. The Orange Bird is, is definitely one of the Holy Grails. We've got some other great footage that we're going to be sending out for uh, conversion pretty soon, which has some really, really neat stuff that there's not a lot of. Um, so keep your eyes peeled. It won't take 13 months, I promise. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> That's right. I, I, don't we, e- I don't even know what you're talking about. So. Well, look at that. Exactly. Brian I'm excited. Keeping it. He's excited. He doesn't even know. But uh, on top of that, we also have some very special souvenir films that we've got six of them that I've been restoring. Yes. Um, Brian, seen, Brian and, and, and JT have seen some of the early works of it. I'm tweaking the colors now, uh, and those will probably, hopefully, maybe we'll release one or two of those around, around Christmas. Guaranteed, but, um, guaranteed nobody has seen footage that looks like this yeah. of, and this is Big Thunder Mountain and River Country and, and uh, Haunted Mansion and guaranteed the last time people saw the films in in this clarity was when disney was uh screening their 16 millimeter masters before before putting it on film to sell exactly so got some pretty rare stuff coming up yeah so again retro wdw.com forward slash orange bird take a look let us know what you think now with that we wouldn't be able to do this without all of your help and as always we have our shirts and t-shirts at uh uh with that, we have our shirts on sale and all sorts of other things. This month, we do have all of our pins, including the Lake and Lagoon Tour pin, the Whatchamacall pin, and the Retro WDW logo pin. Um, you can order those at retrowdw.com forward slash pins. It will take us take you directly to our online store. Um, there are very limited sizes and limited amounts of the Lake and Lagoon t-shirts for sale. I think we got a couple smalls, a large, and, and some women's larges available. You can get those at that URL as well. Um, if you can't find your size there, and then, by the way, those are on sale for 10 bucks, so we only have a limited supply at that price. But all of our other T-shirts and designs you can get at retrowdw.com forward slash support us. And, uh, again, all the proceeds and everything that we make off of these T-shirt sales go right back into uh, the server and uh, also being able to purchase these films restore them, transfer them, and, and share them with all of our listeners. So appreciate all your support in those purchases. We had a little surprise uh, happen during this during this trip. We got off uh, our, our first tours on, our, on Saturday, and uh, on my boat we had um, the Miles family from, from the, they live down in Florida. And, no uh, relation. No relation to Brian, by the way. <laughs> Only in my heart. <laughs> And uh, if you've heard us uh, answer questions from uh, Reese uh, in our in our listener mail segment, uh, Reese is a huge fan of ours, as is her sister Riley. And hi, Reese. Uh, hi, Riley. How's it going, guys? And they they were ecstatic. They just couldn't wait to meet us, and they invite us uh, invite us up to the second floor of the Contemporary, where their father, who who does his own podcast, had set up um, all the cameras and all the audio equipment for a video cast. Now, Reese and Riley have their own video cast. They've got, we were episode number eight, I believe, and it's yep. called the Reese Riley Review. And they surprised us and said, would you care to be guests on, you know, on our, our little review show here? It was awesome. We sat down and, and we talked about the contemporary and we talked about oh, our favorite yeah, aspects. They were, 
they were doing like a, a resort series, like their favorite yeah. thing at resorts. So they'd film at the different resorts, and this one happened to be the contemporary because that's where the tour was. But because um, I think they, they've I done the Polynesian s- already was one of the ones. Yeah, yeah. We were right by the Nixon room, which I didn't know was right there. So I learned that sitting there. That's right. So Reese and Riley can't thank you enough for having us on. And um, if our listeners don't know where to find you, you can follow them on Twitter at uh, Riri Review. That's R-E-R-I Review. Uh, they're also Reese and Riley Review on, on Facebook. And um, just because... They're on YouTube, too. Subscribe. That's to right, yeah. YouTube, YouTube you can see our video cast. Reese and Riley review episode number eight. Again, girls, thank you so much for having you on. I um, hope to see you at uh, our future events. And it was awesome to meet you. And the pictures that she drew for us, guys, I've got mine. Oh, so awesome. <laughs> awesome. We've got a, it's on I've, my fridge. Yep. Yep. I've got the, uh, the McFarkles. Um, <laughs> and uh, Brian, you've got uh, Orange Bird at the Golf Resort, Orange, right? Orange Bird at the Golf Resort wearing his plaid pants. I love it. It's awesome. It. Uh, House was um, a different uh, the the Serial Sisters from Kitchen Cabaret. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, JT, yours was uh, you were going out to get the mail. You got the mail bag, yep. As you always do. So, again, thanks, girls, and uh, hope to see you guys again soon. Well, guys, that wraps it up for this short episode of the Retro Disney World podcast. Um, guys, anything else to add in before we sign off? No, it was cool meeting everybody. Thanks yeah. a lot for our listeners, and you know. Share it with a friend, definitely, if you uh, got Disney friends out there, for sure. Yeah, let us know. Anything else, Brian, for you? Uh, We just hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving, and we are certainly thankful for everybody and all of you. There we go. And with that, Brian, take us out. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro Disney World on Twitter and Instagram, at RetroWDW, on Facebook at Retro Disney World. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, you can find our producer, Jason Bartell from Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, at GoAwayGreen. For JT Kuzier, at LS1JT. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook, at Brian P. Miles. Bye.